Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode eight of Naked Data Science, the number one podcast on leading data science projects and teams in the real world. In this episode, Nima and I talk about another key mental model for data science work: baseline thinking. We discuss how to evaluate new versus baseline when you already have an existing solution, how to use tracer bullets when there is no existing solution, and how to build accurate intuitions for both data scientists and business. Enjoy. Today we want to talk about baselines and a mental model that is centered around them. A baseline is typically defined as a starting point or a minimal point used for comparison. And in our picture of the data scientist problem solver, related to black box thinking and evaluation of your work, baselines are useful tools for putting the result of your work in context, for measuring the amount of impact you're making in the problem that you're solving. That's the basic principle behind using baselines. And baseline thinking is a mental model which mainly focuses on drawing your attention to thinking about existing or potential baselines about your work. It's useful in a variety of situations that you typically face in doing data science projects. But before going further into them, since you actually came up with framing and naming this mental model like this, how do you describe baseline thinking? Baseline has different meanings, but for me, it means that when you think about a problem that you are trying to solve with data-intensive solutions, there usually are different ways to build such a solution. So different potential solutions. Even with a specific solution direction, you can still build it with different level of complexity. Whenever you are thinking about either building a new solution or to replace an existing solution, you always try to get to a baseline, either the simplest solution or an existing solution, and you try to measure that and then build on top of that and measure how much it improves. I think that's a overview. I think that's a good introduction to baseline thinking, and we can make it more concrete now by going to the first and. Probably the most obvious use case of baseline thinking when there is an existing solution. What we mean is that there's an identified problem. There's already a system or solution that is solving this problem, and the idea is that with this new data science project, you can find a better solution to this problem. How is baseline thinking useful in this case? So when you think about how data science adds value, is typically two broad categories. It allows the business to do something it couldn't do before, or it helps the business to do what it is already doing, but much more effectively and much more efficiently. In the first case you mentioned, there is already an existing solution, but sometimes it can be very simple. Sometimes it can even be. Manual, and we are trying to say, okay, by applying data science, can we make this better? Whatever the existing solution is, even it is a manual process, or even it is something based on very simple business logic, those are actually the baseline. We can measure those. We can say, okay, how good are they doing the things that they are supposed to do at the moment? That give us a starting point to say, okay, whatever solution we are going to build, the goal is to beat those. Yes, and this is a natural case of applying 
black box thinking. You have an identified problem to solve. You have your existing system, which is one black box, and your new solution would become a separate, different black box. These two black boxes are competing with each other in this way of thinking. To compare these black boxes, you need to have decided on your quality criteria. So the first step becomes actually identifying the quality criteria that measures the performance of the black box, whatever solution is being used inside it. Once you have this criteria and you've decided on your solution for measurement, your performance of your new system is always compared to the performance of the existing black box. If you're creating value, it should be observable in the difference of the performance of these two black boxes. And there are a couple of interesting things here. One common pattern is that a lot of times when there is an existing system, you might find out that actually nobody before has thought quite clearly or completely about the evaluation criteria for this system. You might find out that maybe a proper quality measurement of this system as a standalone component has never been done before. And your work becomes the first that actually defines this criteria and decides on a way of measuring. A second interesting point here is that in doing this exercise, you might also find out about quality criteria that you didn't initially include in the performance of your system. Probably in the first attempt, you already identified the criteria that are directly related to the output that is generated by your system. But doing this comparison lets you also see another aspect of the black box, which might be ignored in the beginning, and that's the cost of having this black box. For instance, you might have a new solution which automates something that was done manually before. You might have a new solution which can adapt to new situations if it has enough data. You might be able to get rid of some handmade rules and put in more certain data-driven rules which have better or at least the same performance. These are definitely important characteristics of your solution and your black box. And the incremental value that your solution brings could be measured or is a function of both the improvement that you make in the, in the quality of the output that your system generates, as well as any reduction in the cost or complexity of, of your solution compared to the existing baseline. Yeah, absolutely. One point to counterbalance that, especially when we are applying data science techniques and methods to some problems that were previously solved with much simpler methods, there is a natural tendency, and you see that very strongly on business side, because you want business people to, to think this way, which is, oh, there are endless possibilities. And there potentially is dangerous. Why? Because people tend to have the tendency to say, ah, but this is another problem that this solution can also address. And then before you know, if you talk to 10 people, 10 people add 10 things on top of that. That's why it is quite important to also counterbalance that and say, it might be, but is this something we want to really include in our current scope of work? So I think there's a fine balance there. I think when it comes to the practical day-to-day, -day, how you deal with this, just ask very specific examples. Usually when people tell you this kind of things, then they will say, in general, this will become possible. But then it's always useful to ask specifically, okay, can you give an example of what that means? By asking questions like this, even if you focus on one specific case, that will help both sides be more specific with what they have in mind. And that help you to avoid a lot of situation later when three months down the line, you deliver the work and the other person say, wait a minute, this is not what we discussed or wait a minute, you are solving this, but then this is not solving my problem. Yes, there's certainly a bias to be aware of. Once you're introducing a new solution, it might be natural to focus on the strengths of the new solution and only the weaknesses of the baseline in your evaluation. Here it becomes crucial to be scientific and fair in your comparison and evaluation. 
It is definitely a good exercise to also focus on the strengths of the existing baseline. Consider, for instance, a system in which the decision-making is made using handmade expert rules. There might be a really good depth of expert knowledge encoded in those rules, which are effective for solving problems to a large extent. On the other hand, you might be dealing with a situation where the data that is available to you is not rich enough for your system to learn effective data-driven rules. In this situation, just being data-driven and automated might not be enough to justify the value of your new solution. Yeah, I think there is the next level of the shiny thing way of thinking, right? Because it's quite easy to, because you, we are using a shiny tool, then we start focusing on the positive side of the shiny tool and then focus on the negative side of the baseline solution while completely ignoring that actually the baseline solution has all these things built in that you will no long, probably no longer have once you uh, build an entirely new solution. That's always important to keep this in mind when you are scoping your data science projects or when you are looking into what is possible or, or what are we aiming for in this area. Yes, but on the other hand, when you're clear about your evaluation and you're fair in your comparison to the existing baseline, if your measurements show improvement compared to the baseline given all of this, then you can be really certain about creating real value and not doing any fluffy data science work. Yeah, I think a very important way of thinking about that, despite what I just said, is a trade-off thinking. Because rarely you have a new solution that beats the old solution on every aspect. So usually that involves some kind of trade-off. And also there, one thing you should really keep in mind is that sometimes we can no longer do certain things in an old solution or not as good as an old solution might not be as bad. Especially when the, when, when the old solution or the baseline solution was developed previously, especially one is a few years back, given how fast things change nowadays, probably certain things that were important back then might not be as important as they are nowadays. So it's always important to balance that understanding the existing solution, but then also don't get limited by the previous constraint of the old system. Just ask again, yeah, because things could have changed in between. Exactly. And to be aware of these trade-offs and to make the right decisions in face of these trade-offs, it becomes crucial again to identify and sometimes dig out the most important criteria and metrics that describe the performance of your system. And of course, do a fair comparison between the two black boxes that, that you're facing. And like most trade-offs, it's also useful here to take turns in playing the advocate for each of the systems to see the strengths and weaknesses of each one and to measure their performance against the quality criteria objectively, especially the amount of impact and importance that each of these criteria have. Definitely. That's about the situation when you have an existing solution. Let's also talk about another scenario, which is there is no existing solution. We think a data-driven method or solution can really help that. How are things different in that scenario? Yes, this is a more interesting and less trivial use of baseline thinking. The case where you're entering a new problem domain. So the space of possible solutions out there are initially unknown to you. In this case, baseline thinking focuses on establishing a first baseline solution. The goal here is to gain a great amount of information about your domain by going end to end and solving the problem once. Also by baseline thinking, you're lowering the bar of finding that first solution a lot because you're framing it as only finding a first baseline to the problem you're facing. In many ways, I think this is very close to the analogy and mental model of shooting tracer bullets, which is well known in software engineering. 
Yeah, at least for me, the first time I, I read about the tracer bullet uh, it is in the uh, Pragmatic Programmer book. They talk about this analogy to shooting a machine gun. When you're shooting machine guns, you cannot see the bullet because they are very, very fast. And if we just rely on the crosshair, sometimes because of many factors, you know, could be there are some uh, default in the machine gun itself. Sometimes it could even be like wind speed and etc. If you just use crosshair, you will miss it. So that's why every number of runs, they include a tracer bullet. The only purpose of the tracer bullet is to make sure that you can see visually where other bullets hit as you are shooting the machine gun. In software engineering, they use this as a mental model to say, okay, when you are developing an entirely new solution, it's super important to go end-to-end -end for one go as quick as possible. Because by doing so, you come across a lot of problems that you wouldn't be able to come up with when you are just planning and not building a solution, right? So, for example, a lot of people say, oh, data science is R&D, etc., etc. Yes, part of data science is quite similar to R&D. But on the other hand, if all you do is R&D, You've done a lot of exploratory analysis. You have done a lot of research for 50% of the time for the project. And then you try to start building a solution. From that point on, you lose 50% of the time. Because you know what? By the time you start building the first solution, you might already realize these are three problems that we totally didn't foresee before. So if you just look from the crosshair, if you just think about the research you have done, you will never be able to come across this early enough. And by the time you get to that, 50% of the time has already passed and your project will definitely get delayed. From my perspective, that's how it's relevant to data science work. I agree. And interestingly, you mentioned the case of R&D. And I like to argue that even in doing only R&D or doing only research, it's probably very useful to start shooting tracer bullets, to start making these end-to-end -end solutions, especially when you're in the beginning phases of your research. Looking for solutions in a completely new domain can be similar to trying to find a path in darkness. By shooting tracer bullets, by establishing quick baselines, you shed a light on different areas of your solution space. And these tracer bullets can give you quick feedback whether there is something to explore in this direction or not, whether a specific solution has any chance of working on your problem or being a good fit for your problem or not. And sometimes you might be lucky and with your first few attempts, you already find the correct direction. And other times you might also find out that a few ideas you had as possible candidates for your solution will never work because of these characteristics of your data or your specific problem or your specific customer or user base that you didn't see before, but with a tracer bullet, you could find out very easily. Because of this, it could be very helpful to have this attitude of establishing baselines. What I mean by that is, is the attitude of lowering the bar of expectations from your solution and yourself and allowing yourself to gain very quick learnings about your domain and about the space of possible solutions for your domain. It might be a valuable exercise to ask yourself what can be done, for instance, in just one day towards finding a solution for this problem. What can be done in a reduced scope, for instance, just using 100k samples for your data or just focusing on, on a specific subset of your problem. And I think it might be very likely that actually a research style that is mixing in tracer bullet shootings especially in times of uncertainty, could be more effective than a purely solid theoretical way of doing research. 
Yeah. And one point there I really want to emphasize is that when you think about tracer bullets, tracer bullets are not supposed to hit and damage the target. The tracer bullet is supposed to let you see where you are hitting. So apply the same way of thinking. If you go into a new domain and then you are looking into a solution and your first solution would take six months to deliver, that's not a tracer bullet. That's not a baseline. That is waterfall development. Doesn't matter what development methodology you use because you are not aiming for working solution. That is something that is very, very important. And time and time again, we have seen both approach and at least in our experiences, when it comes to a going into an entirely new domain, solving an entirely new problem that was not solved before, it's always better to shoot some tracer bullets. Yes, it's interesting how much you can do some sort of armchair data science by sitting back and trying to think really well about your problem and typically ending up also spending a lot of time thinking about all the edge cases that could be around your problem or your, or your data. But it's also often surprising how much you can gain just by trying out simple, if not naive or stupid solutions around your problem. Typically, the ROI in terms of the information you gain about your domain is really huge when you just start shooting tracer bullets and try out solutions in different directions and different shapes with, with different hypotheses or motivations around your problem. I think that acceptance of imperfection to say I'm not going for the perfect solution, that is so important and yet so difficult. It just requires you to, to a certain degree, uh, let your ego go and say, the first solution is not going to address all the edge cases. We know that it's not going to be the end uh, solution that we end up with. But then, you know, using the same way of thinking they apply in startup world, if you are not embarrassed about the first product you ship, you ship too late. Then uh, we talk about the two scenarios where you have existing solution or you go into an entirely new domain and you establish a baseline in either case. What do we do next? Well, in our first case, there was already an existing solution. So in terms of development, we had maybe zero complexity in developing this solution further. In our second case, we talked about tracer bullets, which are typically solutions of very low complexity that give us information in moving forward. And baseline thinking can be naturally generalized beyond these two cases to think about solutions of different complexity and using this way of thinking to shape your research in iterations that get closer and closer to your desired solution. Let's consider a case when we start by shooting five tracer bullets. Four of them are useless and one of them shows potential. In the typical research towards finding a solution in this direction, we use the tracer bullet and try to make this tracer bullet a better solution, typically by adding more complexity to the tracer bullet. So in this way of approaching the problem, you first establish the first baseline by your tracer bullet. If by working on your tracer bullet, adding more complexity to it, it becomes a better solution, now you have a new baseline which is already on better performance levels than your tracer bullet. And your research can be continued by recursion in this direction. By taking the baseline you have at the moment and improving it so that it gets closer to the desired levels of performances that you have. And a very useful mental exercise related to this is playing some sort of game where you restrict yourself to different levels of complexity and try to think about baselines or solutions with that level of complexity. This is naturally forcing you to think about solutions that are clearly suboptimal or at least appear suboptimal based on your prior judgment. By doing this exercise, you first of all end up finding many more solutions towards your problem, some of which 
might not have been very obvious in the beginning. You also establish a number of very useful baselines to compare any future work that you do to. And more interestingly, you also start to learn about the real trade-offs between complexity and the value that you generate. For instance, you might have had two solutions in mind, one which you put on a level three complexity and the other one you put at a level nine complexity. By actually trying out and establishing quick baselines in these two directions, you might find out that your level nine complexity is only improving things 5% compared to your level three. Or you might find out that it's actually making a huge significant improvement and it's really worth to pay the price of that complexity to gain the value. From business perspective, being able to see the potential trade-off between complexity and value and also even forget about the value from the business perspective to be able to discuss with data scientists and say, hey, this is where we are now. We still think there are room to improve. These are the potential next baseline that we can aim for. And these are the different complexity levels. That is super helpful. Very fundamental to the business thinking is this return on investment to be able to present different options instead of just telling the business, well, we need two more months. That allows you to have a more intelligent conversation with the business side and from the business side that also help them to understand the different kind of choices that data scientists are facing and also a lot of times we saw this in our team that you know once you present those options it usually opens up an entirely previously not tap into kind of discussions between business and, and and data scientists to say okay what about these kind of things that are super important on business side if we go for this level of complexity would you be able to cover that and there are many times that we kind of fish out all these hidden expectations or quality criteria only after we start talking about different potential level of complexities with regard to the next baseline we are aiming for. There is something there, I don't know why it is, but super valuable from a business perspective. Yes, there's definitely something there. And based on my experience, baselines can really help this conversation as well. Part of it could be because of actually seeing something concrete instead of long discussions about what could be there in the future. Your first baselines can be very simple, implemented quite fast, and naturally lend themselves to receiving quick feedback from your domain. But moreover, baselines are typically minimal solutions, are typically minimal implementation of a fundamental idea. When you think about baselines on different areas of your solution space or different levels of complexity. In this way, baselines can be quite helpful tools in capturing and communicating the main intuitions and motivations that you have behind your different solutions. Hopefully your baselines would also argue why you're considering adding a level of complexity to your solution. What is the intuition behind doing that and what do you expect to gain by doing that? When you create, design, and think about baselines and different levels of complexity, suddenly you're making a map of different possible paths towards going to a solution that you can share with the business side and hopefully get a lot of feedback and good insights from the business on there as well. And also there, what you mentioned, developing that intuition if you start having those conversations, as we just mentioned, with the business side, you also help business to develop more accurate uh, intuition as well. Because you like it or not, business are going to develop intuitions about data science work instead of leaving it entirely to business to figure it out, which can work either way. 
I think the best setup is for the data scientists to exchange on things like this, in ways like this, with the business side quite frequently, so that on both sides you start calibrating on your intuitions on how you think about solutions, next stage for the solution within this domain. If I think about the, the experience we had in the team, that saved us tons of conversations, that saved us tons of alignments and writing tickets and all this kind of stuff. So highly recommend it. Yes, and it's not uncommon to find out that some sort of functionality, some, some level of complexity that you envisioned might not actually be required or not as crucial as it was taught in the beginning. This can really guide you well in pruning and filtering the possible solutions that you had in mind. Another benefit of thinking about different baselines, which is worth mentioning, is that they might give you a lot of security on your route towards finding your solution. When you're actively designing, implementing, and evaluating different baselines, it is not uncommon to find out a couple of solutions, a couple of baselines that are very close to acceptable levels of performance or maybe already there. And this gives you a lot of security in moving forward to your project. No matter what happens, no matter what kind of challenges and un unforeseen problems come across, you might have a couple of solutions in your pocket that are actually already good enough for a first test, exploration, or even your delivery. Yeah. yeah. That is true. So we talk about the baseline thinking, tradition of the show. If there is one practical advice that you can give to the audience, then what would that be? Well, if you haven't thought a lot about baselines before, my suggestion is to take one of the projects you've done, maybe even one that you're quite proud of, and try to force yourself to think about up to three simpler solutions for that problem. Simplicity could be in terms of the data that you're using, you could use less data than, than was available to your solution. Maybe in terms of the model that you have, the number of variables or the structure of your model, and see what is the performance levels of those simpler solutions. Try to compare them to the final solution that you have. You'd be able to measure the incremental value of your more complex solution versus one that has maybe only five variables or one that runs a simple SQL query or is just a simple linear model versus a more complex structure that you're currently employing in your solution. That is good advice. Thank you very much, everyone. This is another episode of Naked Data Science. Just one last thing before you go. If you are not a data scientist yet, but want to become one, you should really attend our webinar. We will demystify the transition into data science. We'll show you the most effective way to build your skills and we will advise you on the four possible options you can take to go from where you are to landing a data science job in as little as nine months. Find out more at nds.show forward slash webinar. That is nds.show forward slash webinar. All right, that's the end of this episode. Have a nice day. Mm -hmm.